Today's reading is from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. When people launch a company these days, or even if they're just launching a product, they'll try to do it in some creative or dramatic way. They want to get people's attention with what they're doing. If they're launching a new business, then they want to make a statement about who they are, what they're on about, what they're trying to achieve. Uh, There'll be advertising campaigns, billboards, TV ads, uh, appearances on TV, newspapers. Uh, Apple have always been really good at launching their products. They like to do it big. Whenever they're launching some new product, they want to make a lot of hype around it. Uh, They'll even get big-name celebrities for the young people in the room. That's two of the members of U2. Uh, Okay. It it was a little while ago. Steve Jobs is still alive in that photo. So they like to get celebrities involved to to try and impress people with what it is that they're doing. Well, we come today to the launch of Jesus' ministry. Over these past few weeks, we've been introduced to Jesus in the first chapter of John's Gospel. But now, Jesus' ministry is about to begin. John's writing an account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. So what is John going to put right at the very beginning? How does he introduce us to who Jesus is and to what Jesus has come to do? What would you put right at the beginning of your gospel? If you could pick any of the miracles that Jesus did or any of the things that he taught, what would you want right at the beginning? What would you want people to see as the first thing launching this ministry? I reckon I'd go with the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, it's big, isn't it? I mean, it's an impressive thing. It shows Jesus' power, but it shows also his compassion. And not only that, but you're going to have at least 5,000 people who are going to walk away and tell everybody about what happened, the amazing thing that Jesus did. Or maybe you'd go for something like Jesus calming the storm. Again, to show that he has power over creation, that he can still the storm with just a word, that's pretty dramatic. But that's not what John gives us. 
John gives us two incidents in this chapter, the first one that we just heard read, and we'll look at the other one that happens afterwards. Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And then the second thing is Jesus overturning tables at the temple. Now, to me, these two things are a pretty strange choice. We have a miracle where somebody else actually gets the credit for the miracle that's taken place. The bridegroom gets the credit. The master of ceremonies is saying, fantastic wine you've pulled out here at the end. And there's only a handful of people who actually know that Jesus did anything. His mother, the disciples and the servants. The people who really didn't need to know, but the people everyone else at the, at the wedding doesn't know. And then finally, the, in the second half of the chapter, we have Jesus throwing people out of the temple. Hardly likely to endear him to too many people. But as far as John's concerned, these two miracles make a very clear statement about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. I said a few weeks ago that John's gospel feels very different to the other gospels. Uh, And one of the reasons for that is because John has almost, has the most unique material. I showed this little graph, I love graphs, and this one shows it up really nicely. Matthew's gospel, 80% of it is shared material with Mark and Luke. Uh, Mark's gospel, 97% of his gospel is found in the other gospels. Luke, he has about 65%, so his feels a little different. But John's gospel, less than 10% of it is actually shared in the other gospels. It's all unique stories. And the other difference with John is that he hasn't compiled things in a chronological order, not in these first 12 chapters. He's compiled them in a theological order. He's put them in a way that's going to help build a picture of who Jesus is. Uh, In chapter 2, we have Jesus throwing people out of the temple. From the other Gospels, we believe that that happened when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem to die at the end of his ministry. But John's put it right here at the beginning because he wants to make a theological statement, not just give you a chronological timeline of who Jesus is and what he did. John chooses very carefully the events that he wants to put in. So let's go to the first of them, this wedding at Cana. It's a very low-key miracle. We're told that Jesus, his mother, and the disciples had been invited to be guests at the wedding in Cana. And Mary finds out that they've run out of wine and mentions this to Jesus. It's probably still the tradition in Australia that uh, the groom's groom and the groom's family will provide the alcohol for a wedding. Not back in those days. The groom provided everything. The food and the drink was all the responsibility of the groom at a wedding back in Jesus' day. Now, Jesus' mother, as I said, she mentions to Jesus that there's this problem, they've run out of wine. She's obviously aware that Jesus is capable of doing something to fix this. But when she mentions the problem to Jesus, he makes a rather cryptic comment. You've got it there in verse number four. Woman, why do you involve me? And Jesus then also says, my hour has not yet come. What hour has he got in mind? What hour is he talking about? Well, I think there's a few parts to this answer. If you jump down to 11, I think we can get a better idea verse from verse 11 of what hour it is that Jesus is talking about. It says this in verse 11. What Jesus did in Cana in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. 
The miracles that Jesus does, or the signs, as John calls them in his gospel, reveal Jesus' glory. They show us that Jesus is God. So when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, the hour hasn't come for his glory to be completely revealed. I'm sure that that's at least part of what Jesus means. Jesus says that hour has not yet arrived. But it goes further than that. As you read through John's Gospel, you see Jesus talking about the hour a few times. And the hour that he has in mind is the hour of his death on the cross. So when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, the hour that he's talking about is the hour when he will die. Jesus knew that the cross would be the place where God's glory would be most clearly revealed. And there's one more thing when Jesus says, my time has not yet come, but we'll get back to that a little bit later. Now, despite saying my time has not yet come, Without any other words, Jesus steps in and actually resolves this potentially embarrassing situation at the wedding. And he doesn't just do it by halves. He tells them to go and get the stone jars that would have been used for ritual cleanings back in those days uh, and asks them to fill them with water. These are the kinds of jars that they would have had. Uh, Quite large jars, kind of waist height these would have been, uh, holding a significant amount of water. Uh, as I said, they were used uh, for ritual cleaning. Uh, you would, when you arrived at a function like this wedding, you would dip your right arm into the water right up to your elbow. Now, it's not a hygiene thing because by the time you're the last guest arriving there, you probably, goodness only knows what you might be dipping your arm into. But it's a symbolic thing of making yourself ceremonially clean uh, for the wedding. Now, we're told that these stone jars, they hold between 20 and 30 gallons. Let's say it's just 20 gallons. That's about 75 litres per jar. That means that at the very least, Jesus has made not just one bottle of wine, and and top quality wine is what we're told here, so that's why we have the Grange Hermitage up there. He has just made 600 bottles of Grange Hermitage for the guests at the wedding to share. And look at what the Master of Ceremonies says, verse 9. And the Master of the Banquet tasted the wine that had been tur- that the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realise where it had come from, though the servants who'd drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine when the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best until now. But did you see that? The groom gets the credit for the Grange Hermitage. The groom has no idea where this has come from. And Jesus seems to go unnoticed in all of this. No one's thanking Jesus for what's happened here. It was Jesus' mothers and the servants and his disciples, they were the only ones who knew what had happened. Maybe this is part of not wanting to reveal his glory just yet. But at the same time, Jesus performed this miracle in order to reveal his glory. And I think, go back down to verse 11, maybe it did achieve Jesus' desired result. Look at what it says there. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. 
The disciples put their faith in Jesus. They believed who he was. They put their trust in him. Okay, let's come to the next part of, the, of this story with Jesus clearing the temple. A lot of people feel very uncomfortable with this story because it doesn't kind of fit the gentle Jesus, meek and mild idea that we often have of Jesus. But I want you to notice something. When you read through what happens here, the religious leaders are not upset about what Jesus has done. They don't question his actions of booting these people out. In fact, I think that they knew that Jesus had done the right thing in getting rid of all of these people who were cluttering up the temple. Their only question is the authority by which Jesus does these things. You see that there in verse number 18. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you give us, can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? But just as it was with Mary, when Jesus, when she called on Jesus for a miracle, so when the Pharisees asked for the same thing, Jesus makes another cryptic kind of statement. Verse number 19. Jesus answered them, destroy the temple and I'll raise it again in three days. You want a sign, Jesus says? Knock the temple down and I'll have it back up in three days. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus, what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. In fact, John gives us that editorial comment a little bit further down, verse number 21. But the temple he spoke of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he'd said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. But the religious leaders didn't realise that. And after Jesus has made that statement, they ask the very obvious question. Verse 20, the Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to knock it down and raise it in three days. How are you going to do that? Now, we the readers know the answer to that question, but the religious leaders are left standing there kind of with a little bit of egg on their face, I think. But in order to truly get what Jesus is talking about here, you've got to understand the place that the temple had in the life of Israel. The temple was the place where God symbolically dwelt with his people. It wasn't literally where God lived, and even the Jewish people knew that. It was this symbol of God's presence with his people. But now, Jesus has come, and Jesus is God present with his people. Do you still need the symbol of God's presence with his people when God is standing right in your midst? Well, the answer is no. And the temple was also the place where sin was dealt with. The temple was the place where sacrifices were made. It was the place where the high priest made that once, uh, once a year atonement for the sin of all the people. Now, all of that stands at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. The Pharisees don't understand it, but Jesus has come to pay the penalty for our sin once and for all. Jesus is saying, you may as well knock this temple down. It's no longer needed. It no longer serves any purpose. You may as well just turn it into a Bunnings. Now, in a sense, the disciples 
notice something that we might not notice. Verse 17. We see what Jesus said, we hear what Jesus has said, and they remember what it said in the Psalms. Verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Again, it's a little lost on us, but this is one of those messianic psalms, one of those psalms in the Old Testament that tell us about what the Messiah will be like, what the Saviour will be like when he comes. But again, more about that in just a moment. Now, I think there's a very good reason for putting these two episodes together right at the beginning of John's Gospel. John has chosen them carefully because he wants to make an important statement about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. These actions, changing water into wine and clearing the temple, they speak volumes about the Messiah and what he has come to do. Let me go back to the wedding at Cana. Jesus said, my time has not yet come. I said there were three things about my time coming. Well, the third one is a banquet in heaven is the picture that we have all the way through the pages of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. That's the idea of God being gathered with his people and celebrating a banquet. In fact, the idea of that wedding banquet is the image that comes up a number of times in the pages of the Old Testament. This is what Isaiah says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Amos says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the ploughman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. A banquet with the very best of wines. The Messiah was going to usher in that new age. The Messiah is going to host that banquet. And here is Jesus, the Messiah, at the wedding at Cana, saying, not quite yet. I think part of what Jesus means is the time for my wedding banquet hasn't yet come. The time will come, that banquet will happen, but first Jesus has to endure the cross. Before the banquet, uh, the, the, the judgment will come. The banquet will happen, but not yet. But another large part of this messianic hope that the people had hinged around the temple. They were longing for the day when God's glory would return to the temple. If you know the story of the Old Testament, once the temple is actually put into place, God's glory descends on the temple as if to say, I'm here and I'm with you. But then when the people are thrown into exile... When they get taken off into captivity in Babylon, you read this at the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, God's glory departs from the temple and the people were longing for the day when God's glory would return. So when Jesus begins his ministry, the whole of Israel are still looking forward to the day when God's glory will return to the temple. But Jesus comes and reveals God's glory. They don't need God's glory to return to the temple because God's glory is staring them in the face in Jesus. 
The temple is no longer needed. Jesus has come as the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Now, this is one of those passages that's led to a little bit of misunderstanding from people. There are people who think that Jesus clearing the temple, well, that's about having reverence for buildings that we actually meet in. But that's not it at all. Jesus isn't concerned about the building. In fact, in the other Gospels, we see Jesus say that the temple's going to be destroyed. Jesus isn't worried about the building. He's worried about people's lack of respect for God. He's worried that they can be going through the religious motions and yet not really care about God. He's concerned that they can just be fulfilling the rituals but not have any relationship with God. What Jesus does here in the temple really does stand at the heart of what we believe as Christians. God doesn't dwell in buildings made by men. He doesn't dwell in the temple. He doesn't dwell in this building here in Balmain. We don't approach God through buildings. Buildings are great, don't get me wrong. They keep the sun and the rain off us. They're a fantastic thing. But we don't approach God through buildings. We meet God in his son, Jesus. We approach God through his son. Well, it's quite an opening to John's gospel, isn't it? Quite a statement being made about who Jesus is. Here is the Messiah, the one who reveals God, the one who makes a sacrifice for our sin. Here is the Messiah who has come to prepare that heavenly banquet for us by dying and rising again. And he reminds us until that banquet happens, we need to work at living faithfully in our relationship with our God and creator. 